We're uh, in Genesis 2, verses 18 to 25. And it would be helpful if you could uh, turn in your copy of God's Word to Genesis 1 and 2. And I want to walk through a bit of background first. Sometimes it's helpful just to recap where we've been so that you can see the, the setting, the, the, the context of where we are uh, today. But Genesis 2, uh, just as a reminder, uh, we're in day six of, of the days of creation. And you'll recall in Genesis 1, uh, we had days one through six. And the days essentially follow a form of, um, of God forming and then filling. So day one, uh, God created light and separated light from darkness. And day four, you've got uh, God uh, creating the luminaries, uh, the sun, the moon, the stars. In day two, uh, the scripture tells us that God separated uh, the waters above the firmament or the expanse from the waters below the expanse. And then in day five, uh, God created the fish and the fowl. So he was populating the water. He was populating the air. Uh, Day three, uh, you've got uh, the Lord separating dry land from the waters. And so you've got the earth coming forth. And then in day six, you've got God uh, creating the, um, uh, the beasts of the field and, uh, and man himself. So you've got this sequence of forming and filling as we go along. And you'll recall at the end of chapter 1, uh, verse 31 in particular, the scripture says, God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And what's interesting is in Genesis 2 verse 18, uh, the scripture says, the Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. And so if you're trying to reconcile those two statements, it's actually very straightforward because Genesis 2, 18 through 25 is all part of day six and it was all consummated. And at the end of day six, the Lord looked at what he had done and said, it is very good. But day six was incomplete until we have Genesis 2, verses 18 through 25 taking place, which is the creation of woman and the institution of marriage. And as you look at the scripture and you, you look at the God creating man, look at Genesis 1, verse 26 and following. And the scripture says, God said, and this is a, a unique expression earlier in the, the chapter, God simply said, let there be, and there was. In Genesis 1, verse 26, it's a different form of expression. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And then look at the expression, let them, that's a plural, let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So them, and them is the creation of mankind um, the scripture goes on to say in verse 27 that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So you've got plural. And the response, and then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over all the birds of the, air, the sky and over every living thing that moves on the, the, the earth. And uh, then he goes on and describes the provision uh, that he's made uh, for Adam. Uh, and we 
clearly Eve is there as well because God made man male and female, created them. So when you're looking at Genesis 2, verse 18 through 25, and you see the beginning, the Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. What happens in verses 18 through 25 is God is addressing that deficit, if I can use that, that incompleteness, probably a better way of expressing it, uh, that, that existed prior to uh, the, the creation of woman. And at that point, uh, the Lord God said, it is very good. It is very good. But it was not good until we have woman being created and the institution of marriage. So it's important that we recognize that. And also note the fact that there are responsibilities given uh, to them uh, in verses uh, 28 in particular. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And and that obviously requires more than Adam uh, for for that to take place and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky, etc. So you've got not only... Uh, a reference in Genesis 1 by implication that there will be male and female, but you've got a stewardship role that is, that is dictated by the Lord of custody over the earth and filling the earth with, with, uh, with progeny. So that's, that's really, it's important that we see that because sometimes we'll look at Genesis 2 in isolation and you see Genesis 2 verse 18, the Lord said it is not good. And you say, well, wait a minute, I, th- I thought at the end of chapter 1, the Lord said it is, he saw all that he'd made and is very good. And that's, that's important for us to recognize that in Genesis 2, we're zooming in on a section of the creation days. And, and specifically, day 6. Day 6 is when man and woman were created. But what you don't have in chapter 1 are all the particulars of the creation of woman that you have in Genesis 2. And the, the purpose for which woman was created is, is explicated or expanded upon in Genesis 2, verses 18 through 25. So when we look at the institution of marriage, it's important that we see that there's a very clear purpose that will, that will come out when we unpack this, this sequence of verses. But in Genesis 2, you've got God's provision for mankind in verses um, uh, 4 through 17. Uh, you, you've got the Lord providing uh, the most beautiful, perfect environment um, that could possibly exist with uh, the provision of, uh, of plants and that were attractive not only for uh, the aesthetic purposes, because the, these things were pleasant to the eye, but also for uh, his food and sustenance. It was good for food. And so you've got water uh, providing all these things, but you have the responsibility, we touched on this last time, for man to steward, care for, exercise rule over, exercise dominion over creation. None of that could have taken place until man was created because God created this and then inserted man into his creation to serve, we've called the term vice regent, someone in his stead uh, to exercise dominion. God uses means and the purpose for man's creation was to exercise dominion over the creation and in tandem with Eve, as we'll see, to populate the earth. So all of that is unpacked in chapter 2, but it's helpful, I think, sometimes to step back and see how chapter 1 and chapter 2 interact with each other, especially when we see verse 18 beginning with this statement, and God said, it is not good. That's actually a very important uh, section that we're looking at. So that really takes us through the page 1. I'm going to go over to page 2. When when the Lord looked at uh, this Adam alone in verse 18, 
Uh, the statement is the Lord God. And remember, you've got a change of name in chapter 2, uh, verse 4, and following through the chapter 4. Earlier in chapter 1, you've got uh, Adonai, uh, or pardon me, Elohim, Elohim that's used. And here you've got uh, Yahweh, uh, or Jehovah Elohim, and the covenantal name of God is uh, is introduced, and it simply is going to relate to the fact that not only uh, do we have a covenant of marriage, but we have uh, this covenant of responsibility with man uh, in terms of stewarding over all that God has created. So the covenantal relationship that God has with man is clearly expressed in, in the choice of names that, God, that Moses is using. So he's using Yahweh or uh, Jehovah in addition to the earlier name that he'd used in chapter 1, which is Elohim, which is a majestic term for God as creator. But you've got this, uh, God is intervening. He's responding to this incompleteness as he looks at this and he said, it is not good uh, for man uh, to be alone. And in providing a woman, you've got um, a provision. Uh, This is sort of the third paragraph down. Um, With marriage, uh, with the the, uh, introduction of uh, his bride, uh, Eve, being introduced and created, uh, and then also it relates to the design of all this creation. When there is a purpose that's being fulfilled, and that has to do with the mandate that's given earlier in chapter 1, verse 28. But then also you, you have this, uh, this statement in chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. Why? To cultivate it and to keep it. And, and so this responsibility is given. And so you have a provision uh, for companionship that is going to take place, and also you have uh, a purpose that is being fulfilled. Uh, this, this woman is introduced by uh, her creation. So what are the, the, the purposes? And there are three purposes uh, that are, are here. The first one is that companionship. Why was Eve created? Uh, to, it's to serve as a companion uh, for Adam. It is not good uh, for man to be alone. And that, that expression is actually very emphatic. It's not good. Uh, there's an incompleteness here. There, there is, this is not all that should be. Uh, something needs to take place, and God is intervening uh, to fulfill uh, that deficit, that incompleteness. Uh, and so God has created man to have a relational focus, not only vertical uh, in relationship to him, to God himself, but, but horizontal, to have a relationship with his bride, with his wife that he would introduce and bring into his life. So there is this provision of companionship that is there. And secondly, is for procreation. Earlier, you may remember, uh, in chapter 1, verse 28, God blessed them. And so this is clearly looking at day 6. And at this point, uh, Eve had already been created because he's addressing them. And God said to them, uh, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So you've got procreation as a very fundamental reason for the introduction of Eve into Adam's life. Uh, And Malachi, matter of fact, the question is asked in Malachi chapter 2, what is God seeking in marriage? And the answer that is given is godly offspring. Uh, And so the purpose for which man is created is not only to be a steward, uh, a co-regent or vice-regent over what God has created and to exercise dominion, but to populate the earth with a godly seed. And, and so you, clearly you've got the introduction of Eve into uh, Adam's life to bring that to pass. 
And the third reason, top page three, is, is very clearly uh, for pleasure, uh, for sexual intimacy. And the Song of Songs, we, we actually had a, an expositional treatment of the Song of Songs in previous years, uh, but it speaks of the beauty, the intimacy, the loveliness, the, the holiness, uh, the reverence, if I can use that term, of, of uh, marital uh, intimacy. Uh, and it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful song. And, and for that to take place, uh, clearly there had to be Eve introduced into Adam's life. So three contributions. Number one, uh, companionship. Secondly, children. And thirdly, uh, pleasure, uh, marital intimacy. Uh, Hebrews 13 talks about the, the beautiful creation of marriage and the sanctity of marriage, a message that uh, cannot possibly be overemphasized in today's world. Uh, but let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed uh, be undefiled. Uh, so here we have in chapter 2, verses 18 through 25, the institution of the covenant of marriage, uh, the, the uh, institution of marriage. It's, it's actually brought uh, into existence at this particular time. But what's interesting is you're looking at this um, this order of creation in chapter 2, verse 18, and God says, the Lord God says, it's not good uh, for, uh, for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper. And what does he do in verse 19? What, this is a fascinating uh, sequence that takes place. Uh, Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky. Now, this, this occurred in days 5 and 6. God had brought uh, the fish and the fowl and the beasts and the cattle and the creeping things all into existence. Uh, and so what's happening here is the Lord is bringing into uh, Adam's life uh, all of these different uh, living beings, uh, birds and, and beasts as it's described in verse 19, uh, and he brought them uh, to man to see what he would call them. For, for Adam to name God's creation is a, an expression of dominion. It's an expression of authority. And so God is saying, look at what I have made and give it a name. Uh, study it and give it a name. And you can only imagine, we, we've never beheld a, a sinless man, um, the Lord Jesus Christ being the obvious exception. But in humanity, you can imagine the intellect, the, the perception, uh, the insight, um, the, the, the way in which Adam looked at each of these creatures and, and looked at their particular characteristics, uh, looked at, at what God had made uh, and, and attached a name to them. All of this is taking place in day six. It was a really busy day, but, but it, it's all literally taking place in this particular day. God is bringing them and he's naming them and the purpose is not so that Adam would be a zoologist. It was, it was to establish his dominion over creation by naming them, by, by attaching a name to each one of them. And it, most importantly, uh, it, what he's doing is he's showing a difference. So at this point, bear in mind, Adam had never seen uh, another human being. There, there, he was there all by himself. There was no man. There was no woman. Uh, at this point, it was just Adam. And so what's he looking at? He's looking at this parade of animals that's being brought into his life, and he's attaching a name to each of them. And, and I'm reminded, uh, sometimes maybe you can relate to this, you've taken an aptitude test or an entrance exam, and there's a part of the exam, which one of these is different from all the other ones? You know, and so you're supposed to look at these things and say, well, this one is different. And, and, and Adam is looking at these, and he's like, well, the, all the animals are different from each other. And they're also different from me. 
And, and so he's attaching a name to them, and he's saying, I don't see anything that even looks remotely like me. I, and, and yet you've given, I have this responsibility to fulfill this function. Uh, and so he's, the, the Lord is, is bringing these, these livestock, livestock and birds into uh, his existence and, and introducing them. And Adam is saying, but nobody is suitable for me. There, there's, there's none of these that's a, a companion uh, that would be a bearer of God's image, uh, someone to assist me. Uh, there is a, a, an ancient rabbinical commentary that, that has uh, sort of a, uh, an imaginative statement that Adam may have made at that point in his life. Everything has its partner, but I have no partner. Remember that God had created these animals and had blessed them and told them to reproduce and fill the earth. So there were male and female animals. Uh, and they were designed to reproduce, to fill the earth with their, their own kind. That, that, remember that expression is used. They were created after their own kind. So Adam is seeing the, this, you name it, that's, that's being brought into his life. And there's a male and a female animal. And he's seeing that they're related to each other. And, and he's saying, yeah, there's a partner that the antelope has. There's a partner that uh, the, 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 the cow has. There's a, a, one that the dog has, whatever the case. But, but they've all got partners. I don't have a partner. I don't have a partner. And you can only imagine what was going through his mind. I, I don't want to get too far afield on this, but, but, but it's, it's clear that the, that the Lord is bringing into his presence this parade of, of living creatures, and, and it was this responsibility that, uh, that Adam had to attach a name to, to each of them. Um, top of page four, uh, one commentator has described what is about to take place as an expression that's very beautiful and it would be very timely given the, the marriage that we just uh, saw yesterday uh, that took place. Here comes the bride. This is literally what's taking place. Here comes the bride. Because verse 19, out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every uh, bird of the sky. And notice what, what it's, it's saying. There. And he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Uh, in the verse 20, and the man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds and to every beast, but, and that's a, that's a very important word, but for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. And so what's, what's interesting, this term helper, um, we, we look at it and perhaps that expression just sort of goes right by us, um, but, but when the scripture uses the word help, um, it, it's very, very often used of God's care for mankind. In Psalm 121, um, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? If you were to look at the way this word is used in the Old Testament, it's, it's very, very often, especially in the Psalms, used to describe God's care, uh, his assistance, his provision, his, his companionship with man. And so there's going to be a, a partner uh, that's helpful uh, that the Lord is bringing into existence. And, and it, God has to create an appropriate person uh, for, for this to take place, to be a helper in, in Adam's life. Why? To fulfill the mandate and, and, and also for companionship. Those three reasons, remember? Number one is companionship because he was alone. Secondly, to fulfill the mandate, to, to, to reproduce, to fill the earth, to, to exercise dominion over his creation, and for pleasure, all of those. And, and so in, in every respect, God is creating a uh, companion who is suitable uh, for him. 
So I'm on page five now. Um, at the top, there's a very interesting thing, when, an observation that one person has made uh, is that as God created Eve to be a companion, a counterpart, a complement uh, to his own life, uh, the intent for marriage is to recognize the difference, the complementarity, the partnership, the companionship, uh, and to learn to love uh, in, in corresponding service, to serve each other, uh, to love this person that God was going to bring into his life. And I remember many, many, many years ago, um, almost 50 years to be exact, uh, Diane and I were introduced by a book uh, by Walter Trobish, uh, two books. One of them, I, I, I Loved a Girl, and second is Love is a Feeling to be Learned. And they're both really, really good. They, they, at least they were in our lives at that point in time. And the, the point is that love is not simply uh, an emotion. It is an emotion, uh, but it's something that has to be learned. It's something that has to be cultivated. It requires understanding. It requires intentionality. It's not simply... Uh, just a, a, a heartbeat situation. It, it's not just an emotion. It's very intentional. And so Adam is going to have someone brought into his life that for the rest of his existence, for 900 plus years, he's loving that person that God has made as his complement, as his partner that God has crafted very specifically to bring into uh, his life. Uh, but verse uh, 18 says, I will make a helper suitable for him. Suitable for him. Um, and it's been described in many, many ways. You can, you can look down on page five. It's translated suitable in a number of ways. Um, the NASB, suitable for him. Uh, the NLT, just right for him. Uh, Young's literal translation, as his counterpart. Uh, the Amplified, suitable, adapted, completing. The Septuagint, uh, correspondent to himself. Uh, the NIV, uh, suitable. And, and interestingly, the, the King James, uh, a help meet for him. Now, we use the term help mate. That's actually, if you were to take help meet, that's where the expression help mate came from. Uh, if someone is meet for someone, that means that they're suitable uh, for them. They're corresponding for them. So this is a helper that is designed specifically to be a counterpart uh, for them. Uh, the word that's used for this this person that, that is being brought, this woman that's being brought into Adam's life, uh, is it's, it's to be a, a counterpart, a, a complement. Um, the image is uh, a jigsaw puzzle where you've got a, a piece that is missing, and, and, and the piece that is missing is different from all the other pieces, right? And, and so not just any piece will fulfill that vacancy. Not it's just any particular piece will fill that exact slot and God is creating this individual, this human, to bring into God's life that is that piece of the jigsaw puzzle that was lacking in Adam's life. And God specifically designed Eve to be that very person, a very specific design, a perfect complement, a, a match made in heaven, literally. That, that you could say this is the person that God was bringing into his life. Michael Barrett makes an observation that, that's helpful. He says... Um, a capable and needed assistant, well-suited for man, created in God's image uh, to support man in his calling, to fill and subdue the earth in obedience to God's law. Those are the, that really encapsulates those purposes that we talked about earlier, which was companionship, 
uh, complementarity in, in exercising the dominion mandate uh, and then pleasure that they could enjoy forever. But Eve is being brought into Adam's life to be that exact complement, that match that he never had before. So how does it work? Page six is we look at how God actually created uh, Adam, uh, Eve, pardon me. Verse 21 and 22 specifically tells us how that took place. Uh, the Lord caused a deep sleep uh, to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs, or at least that's the way it's translated, and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into the woman the rib, and again, that's a, a translator's choice, which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. So we have this expression, Adam's rib, and, and sometimes you'll say, well, you know, does, uh, does man have, does a male have fewer ribs than the female? Uh, number one, ribs regenerate. You, you didn't know that, but actually, I did some reading on that. Ribs actually regenerate. That's not the point. The, the word that's used for rib actually is translated in every other instance I could find in the Old Testament as side. Uh, it, it's, it, and so whether it was literally a rib, a, a bone, or whether it was part of a side, uh, the, the reality is God took... Um, substance out of Adam's side. Perhaps it was a bone, maybe it was a rib, but it was clearly the word means side. It's translated that way in every other instance I could find. But he takes part of Adam, removes it, restores what's, what's missing there, and uses that part that was taken out of Adam and creates Eve out of that part, that, that out of the side of, um, of, of Adam. Matthew Henry makes this, this comment, and maybe you've seen this before. It's absolutely a beautiful observation on page six. Page six. Matthew Henry describes this partnership that, that God had created, and he notes that Eve was not made out of his head uh, to rule over him, uh, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, and under his arm to be protected and near to his heart to be beloved. And that's exactly right. That's a good observation. So this Eve was taken out of the side of Adam to be his companion, to be side by side, literally with him for their entire life in covenant marriage. And it's a beautiful expression for him when we see that. Calvin writes that he lost one of his ribs, but instead of it, a far richer reward was granted him since he obtained a faithful associate for life. For he now saw himself, who had been imperfect, rendered complete in his wife. And that's, that's a really accurate rendition of what's taking place here. So if we look at, at, there's different implications that we can draw from this beautiful description of the creation of woman. Number one, and we don't need to belabor this, but, but it certainly speaks to our time. Uh, the first is that gender identity is a matter of, of God's creation. It's not a matter of choice. It's not a matter of preference. It's not a matter of self-identification. God created man, male, and female. Uh, and the gender identity is immutable. It, it is a function of God's creative act. So I, I realize that that is contrary to a lot of contemporary thinking, but the scriptures are authority. And it, it's absolutely clear that gender identity is a matter of God's creation. It's binary. There's no... Uh, multiple choice uh, activity going on here. There's male and female. Uh, top of page seven, the, the man in Genesis 2 was made, the man was created in Genesis 2 verse 7, and the woman is being created uh, here in Genesis 2 verses 21 and 22. 
Adam was created out of the dust of the earth, and we, we recognized last time that that shows uh, his mortality, number one, and it speaks to the, the humility of God's creation. Uh, man, man is not immortal, but Eve was not created out of the dust. Eve was created out of man. Uh, she was taken out of man, uh, shaped uh, into the exact uh, person that she was, and brought alongside man uh, to be his complement, to be different, and yet to be the same different in the way that she was created, uh, but to be his perfect complement for life. Um, The second paragraph uh, deals with something that's very important in our time, and and that is when we look at God's creation, male and female, in Genesis 1, 28, and so on in Genesis 2, uh, one person has commented about the, the feminine design. A woman possesses distinctive features from a man. Uh, the French have an expression for this, vive la différence. I'm not, I'm not uh, a, a Francophile, but I can tell you that I would echo that, vive la différence. Uh, praise God for the difference. Uh, God has created man and, and woman, and, and we celebrate those differences. It is beautiful. It is exactly what God has created. We're delighted that we're not the same. We're delighted that women are different than men. We're delighted that, that God has brought women into men's lives. And so all I can say is that's one part where the French got it right. Uh, vive la différence. Uh, so we, we rejoice in that. The, the scripture applauds that. So different features. What, what's interesting is when we see the word that is used for Eve being created, it's, it's a beautiful word. It literally is used in many instances of a work of architecture. Uh, again, Adam was made out of the dust. Eve was formed, uh, shaped uh, out of, of man. Uh, and he created her. And, and the, again, the expression is one uh, that talks about the creative work uh, in some instances of uh, decorating Israel's temple, a fashioning that takes place. Um, and, one, and Michael Barrett, again, makes a comment that the mode of creation of woman is vital in understanding the nature. Number one, you have a sequence. And this is, this is important that we recognize this. Man was made first and Eve was made second. And so we have a sequence uh, where we have, in, in the New Testament in 1 Timothy 2, establishes this as a principle that there is an authority structure that God has created uh, for man to exercise authority. Uh, and, and, but notice that the Eve was taken, again, not from the dust, uh, but literally from man's side. And so uh, she is different from, but not independent of, man. So they are joined together Uh, in a covenantal relationship, as we'll see uh, a little bit later in verses 24 and 25. So I'm going to go over to page 8 now. Um, One observation, we we talked about the the beauty of the differences between men and women. And um, and, and so this difference also creates uh, a need, an imperative for understanding, patience, intentionality in loving and caring uh, for our counterparts um, because, of the, because the differences create the opportunity in a sinful world for uh, misunderstanding. Uh, and, and so uh, one commentator, and this is indented, um, as long as a man and a woman live together in marriage, they will remain something of a mystery to each other. I, I don't know if anybody can relate to that, but it's a beautiful mystery. It's, it's learning, always learning, learning to appreciate the differences, uh, to see the complementarity. Um, women think differently than men. I don't, don't know if you've realized that, but it's true. They, they process things differently. They appreciate things differently. They have different interests. Uh, they have different aesthetic tastes in many cases. 
And, and praise God for that. Uh, the, the world would be an entirely uh, uh, lonely uh, and boring place with just men, but God has brought the women into our lives to complement us in that perfect match, uh, that jigsaw puzzle piece that is exactly designed uh, to be the, the match in our lives that we so desperately need and for which we were created. Uh, but then you have, and we made reference to this a little bit earlier, in the sequence of creation, man being made first and then woman, you have, in the, and again, First Timothy 2 uh, echoes this and reinforces this, you have an authority structure that is created. And with that authority, by the way, is responsibility. The authority is not, is not just a, a bare responsibility, it, it, a bare exercise of dominion. It's a responsibility not only to exercise authority, but to care, to protect, to guard, uh, to guide, all of those things go along with the, the, the role of authority. It's, it's not a dictatorial situation at all. It, it's one of care providing, protection, provision, uh, and so on. Uh, and so you have this, as one person has said, the man has a leadership role while the woman has a fellowship position. And that's just it's kind of a, a novel, but I think it's an accurate way uh, to describe it. Well, down at the bottom... Uh, not the least of all the observations to be made uh, in verse 23 is just the ecstatic response of Adam when he saw the person that God had made. Now, I, I don't know how many wedding rehearsals and receptions I've been to where this, this particular passage is, is read and, and people are sort of scratching their heads saying, that doesn't sound very romantic to me. You know, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. You know, I mean, what's happening is, if I can exercise a little bit of license here, Adam is saying, wow, wow, this is incredible. I've seen these animals. There's a, they, everyone's got a mate. She's just perfect for me. Absolutely perfect. She, she came for me. God made her just for me. It, it's not one of these humdrum, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. That is not what Adam said. That is not how he said it. It's what he said, but that is not how he said it. Those are the first words that are recorded in Scripture by mankind. Did you know that? And it's the first poem that is actually recited in Scripture. And, and Adam is absolutely stunned with ecstatic pleasure by, what he, by who he saw. Not what he saw, but who he saw. It's like, Whoa! God has done this incredible work in my life. And he gives her a name. And, and he calls her woman. Ish and Isha, those are the, the, the Hebrew expressions. And you can see the resemblance between them. Because she was taken out of man. She came right out of me. And so she's different than I am, but she's made of the same substance as I am. She came literally from me. She came out of my side. She's my companion. And, and what a gift that God has brought into my life. And, and so this is... Is, is, again, down at the bottom, one, one commentator said, you, you can hear the, the music being played at this point. You know, here comes the bride. And whatever uh, music choice you happen to exercise at this point. But it was ecstatic. It, it was just a delightful thing. Um, bear in mind that the same word is used when Adam, uh, when God brought to Adam, brought to Adam all these animals. Guess what? He brought into uh, Adam's life the woman. He introduced her. He, he escorted uh, Eve, if I can use that expression, uh, is, is the escort of the bride uh, right into Adam's life. He said, here she is. I'm bringing her to you. Just like he brought all these animals into Adam's life, and Adam's looking at this saying, 
nobody, nobody's, nothing here is matching up. Nothing's, you know, everybody's got a mate. I got nothing. And, and so God brings Eve into, is, you know, introduces Eve, walks her down the aisle, if I can use that metaphor, and Adam is just completely overwhelmed. And he should have been. This is the first couple in all of creation, and it's, it's absolutely a, a beautiful thing. So finally, this is, is what's being created. I'm on page 9 now. Well, then we come to verses 24 and 25, and the, the speaker changes. Um, the voice changes. Uh, this, this is not Adam speaking at this point. This is Moses, uh, under the inspiration of the Spirit, giving us... Uh, the, the, the direction for this marriage that had just been created. And, and it's very different. Uh, for this reason, leave, cleave, and one flesh. Uh, to leave is different, as the notes say, from anything that had gone on. In, in that culture, what would happen is a man and a woman would get married and the, the woman would, would move into the, her in-law's house and they would just build a different level on the house and, and they would all live together. Nothing necessarily wrong with that. Uh, but the point is being made is you're a new identity. You, you, you're absolutely a new identity. Uh, your loyalty is to your bride. Uh, your loyalty is to your mate. Your responsibility is to the one that I brought into your life. Uh, the, the line of authority is no longer the same. It, you, you honor, you always honor your father and mother. Um, the fifth commandment has not been abrogated by this. Uh, but but the, the responsibility is clearly different, and, and the line of authority is, is very different. And then, and then secondly, to cleave is a word that means to stick to, and it, and it is, has a covenantal implication to it. It's used often to describe of, of man cleaving to God, of connecting with God, of abiding with God, and it speaks of a covenantal relationship. And that's, this is the institution of, of marriage as a covenant. Uh, it's not simply an agreement. Uh, it's, it, there's no such thing as a private marriage. It's, it's before witnesses. Uh, God was the witness in, in this case, uh, and, and he d- dictated the terms. Uh, but, but it's a covenant, and that's why we have witnesses, because a man and a woman are entering, entering into a lifelong commitment with each other. And they become one flesh. They literally share everything with each other. Uh, the intimacy is, is beautiful, and that's obviously spoken of in, in verse 25. So you've got the first marriage, and what I'd like to do in the, the time that remains is um, there is a, a Puritan wedding prayer that, that encapsulates much of what has been discussed here. It's actually a prayer uh, that I gave at the reception of, uh, of Jeff and Elizabeth uh, some years ago here in St. Louis when they came, and we had a reception for them after their wedding. Uh, and it's a Puritan wedding prayer, and it encapsulates uh, what, is, what we've just read. O God of love, you have established marriage for the welfare and happiness of mankind. Yours was the plan, and only with you can we work it out with joy. You have said it is not good for a man to live alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now our joys are doubled, since the happiness of one is the happiness of the other. Our burdens are halved, since when we share them, we divide the load. Bless this husband. Bless him as a provider for the needs of those he loves. Sustain him in all the struggles and the contest of life. May his strength be her protection, his character be her joy and assurance. 
May he so live that she may find in him the haven for which the heart of a woman truly longs. Bless this loving wife. Give her the tenderness that makes her great. A deep sense of understanding and a great faith in you. Give her that inner beauty of soul that never fades. Eternal youth that is found in holding fast to the things that never age. May she so live that she may be pleased always to reverence and he may be pleased to reverence and adore her. May they never make the mistake of merely living for each other. Teach them that marriage is not living for each other. It is two uniting and joining hands to serve you, the living God. Give them the great spiritual purpose in life. May they seek first the kingdom that is yours and its righteousness, so that all other things may be added unto them. Loving you best, they shall love each other all the more. And faithful unto you, faithful unto each other, they shall remain. May they not expect that perfection of each other that belongs alone to you. May they minimize each other's weaknesses, be swift to praise and magnify each other's strengths and beauty, and see each other through a lover's kind and patient eyes. Give them a little something to forgive each day, that they may grow in the grace of long-suffering and love. May they be forbearing with each other's omissions and commissions as you are with theirs. Make such assignments to them according to your will as will bless them and develop their character as they walk together. Give them enough tears to keep them tender, enough hurts to keep them humane, enough of failure to keep their hands clenched tightly in yours, and enough success to make them sure they belong to you. Make they never, may they never take each other's love for granted, but always experience that breathless wonder that exclaims, Out of all this world you have chosen me. Then, when life is done and the sun is setting, may they be found then, as now, still hand in hand, still so proud, thanking you so very much for each other. May they serve you happily, faithfully together, until at least one shall lay the other in your arms. This we ask through Jesus Christ, great lover of souls. Amen. Amen.